Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour Election Day Special Edition. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website, online at independent.org, I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. My co host, Amber Gagarian, is away today. Polls are open across New York State until 9 p.m. today as voters cast ballots in Democratic and Republican primaries for all statewide offices. They're also voting in primaries for all 150 seats in the state assembly. In a heavily Democratic state like New York, the primary is often the race that determines the winner in the general election in November as well. For today's election special, we'll get an overview on some of the key races and issues from Ben Max, executive editor of Gotham Gazette and host of Max Politics on WBAI on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. We'll also speak with Anna Maria Archila, Working Families Party nominee for lieutenant governor, who some observers think could pull off the biggest upset of the night. And we'll hear from Sumathi Kumar, co-chair of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, a group which has emerged as a force in New York politics and is looking today to knock off some more longtime incumbents and double its contingent in the state assembly. We also have reporters in the field who will be bringing you the voices of voters talking about the choices they made. But first, we're going to hear from Ben Max, who I spoke with earlier this afternoon. Great to have you join us for our Election Day special edition of the Independent News Hour on WBAI. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Sure. So let's start with today's biggest race, the Democratic primary for governor. The incumbent, Kathy Hochul, has raised tens of millions of dollars, but has only been scarcely seen on the campaign trail. Can you describe the argument Hochul is making for her candidacy and tell us about the challengers who are running to her right and left? Sure. So, you know, I think one of the things um, at play here, you get it, you know, Hochul being scarcely seen. She has had a a pretty limited campaign schedule. She's been doing some events, but as the sitting governor, she has this tremendous advantage that, and especially with the gubernatorial primary moved to June for the first time in a very long time, she has this tremendous advantage where she's been basically been able to be celebrating uh, things in the state budget that was agreed upon in April and then things agreed upon in the legislative session that followed that ended at the beginning of June. She's been having a steady stream of press conferences and bill signings and funding announcements and so forth that more or less act as a campaign. Um, and, and so she's had that to her advantage in a very big way, as well as the advantage of incumbency uh, in terms of fundraising, where she's just obliterated the field in raising Lots and lots of money, uh, especially from wealthy interests here in the last gubernatorial race before a, a new public campaign finance system kicks in. So that's particularly notable as well. She's making a case on a number of fronts. A few of them are that she has given the state a steady hand taking over for Governor Andrew Cuomo, who resigned in disgrace in August of last year, of course, mm-hmm. that she's been able to, you know, steady the state through what was then another wave of COVID-19 and through, you know, additional vaccination campaigns and surges and so forth, uh, that she's taken action on a number of crises facing the state. And most notably in recent uh, months and weeks, of course, things related to gun control and abortion rights, uh, where she has worked with the legislature to pass a number of things and more happening this week. Um, so those are a few of the highlights, but, you know, she is making a 
moderate liberal case to, you know, a statewide Democratic electorate that she, you know, is somewhere in seemingly in, in something of a of a sweet spot on a number of issues to the the broad electorate, although she had a lot of work to do, you know, getting people to get to know her. But that's where those tens of millions of dollars in ads come in handy. Right. And, and <laughs> this uh, the fundraising she's been doing, uh, I think the last figure I saw was thirty two million dollars. Um, but can you just talk about I mean, there's no doubt she's uh, had a more pleasant personality and a less uh, belligerent personality than her predecessor, Andrew Cuomo. But the the continuing of the of the uh, pay to play culture in Albany and just the powers that the governor wields and is able to uh, leverage for fundraising. Uh, and also the fact that the maximum donation is sixty nine thousand seven hundred dollars. I mean, you can rack up money fast if people have reason to give you that much money. Yeah, you know, I think Governor Hochul is is one of uh, one of many Democratic officials who um, might believe in a certain type of reform, but are certainly not going to put those restraints on themselves when they don't have to. And we saw her come into office in August of last year. She knew she had less than a year until the primary that, you know, was likely going to be hard fought. Uh, there was expectation of Attorney General Letitia James running. She jumped in the bra- race briefly. She obviously would have been extremely formidable. Um, and Hochul, uh, kicked up the fundraising machine very quickly and has basically had a blistering pace, uh, since. And absolutely, it's raised a lot of questions about leveraging her power as governor, uh, and, and basically raising money from everybody and anybody she can to raise, I believe it's over $34 million at this point, uh, really incredible numbers. And she's just continuing to do so. And then in one particular example, that's obviously been the source of a lot of criticism of her. You know, she crafted uh, in secrecy this deal for the new Buffalo Bill Stadium that will include hundreds of millions of dollars in government uh, subsidies. And she did that secretively and then sort of released it just days before a state budget was due. That really turned a lot of legislators off after she had gotten uh, had a number of months of a really good relationship going with legislators who obviously found her a, a breath of fresh air after dealing with uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is notoriously difficult and bullying and, and abusive. Um, but but she really you know sort of spoiled the situation a bit with how she handled the Buffalo Bills deal. She also tried to ram through some criminal justice reforms at, at the last minute. So there was some bloom that came off uh, the rose there. And then more broadly, this this fundraising from wealthy interests uh, and leveraging the the power of the, the governorship, of course, to do it in such a massive way in a short time period has definitely raised some questions. Right. And uh, her two uh, opponents, uh, uh, Jamani Williams, uh, running from the left and uh, Congressman uh, Tom Swozy from Long Island uh, running uh, from the right on a on a sort of Eric Adams law and order uh, type message. Uh, can you talk about those two, especially uh, Jamani, who ran uh, a very competitive race against her four years ago for lieutenant governor? Yeah, I'll just quickly say on uh, Congressman Swazi, you know, he's really struggled, I think, to gain a foothold in any lane in the Democratic primary to Hochul's right. You know, he's criticized her a bit on not doing more on rolling back bail reforms and changing, you know, bail reform and dealing with crime more. But I don't think that message has really landed since Hochul is, is clearly more of a centrist than uh, 
than she is a, you know, a further left progressive like Jamani Williams. So Swazi's been running a bit to her right and trying to run on his management credentials, but I think he's had a hard time. Uh, but we'll see what, we'll see what the turnout winds up being. You know, he might do very well in his base of Long Island and, and other suburbs. So that could be interesting. Jamani Williams ran against Hoko, as you said, in 2018, came within about seven points, surprised a lot of people, especially considering that. Um, you know, he was being outspent quite a bit by the Cuomo Hochul machine uh, and their labor allies and so forth. Um, this time around, though, you know, the polling is is surprisingly showing Hochul far uh, ahead of Williams as well, though, you know, there's reason for some at least. And, and Williams has said this, you know, to believe that he'll come in much stronger than the polls have been showing. Um I think, you know, he's he's running clearly to the governor's left on a number of issues, especially things like public safety, health care, housing. He has a pretty extensive platform on a number of issues. Um, He wants to raise taxes on the wealthiest uh, to pay for some of uh, the additional spending that he wants to do. Uh, But I think one thing we're seeing that's interesting here is that there hasn't been this sort of very big coordinated sort of progressive left movement behind Williams's candidacy in New York. And I think there's some obvious reasons why, including that Andrew Cuomo is out of the picture and it's a little bit harder for the left to organize around uh, an anti-Hokal vote than an anti-Cuomo vote. Um, but there's also some uh, reasons to sort of scratch your head on this one because uh, Jamani Williams' lieutenant governor running mate, Anna Maria Archilla, has gotten a bunch of endorsements from elected officials who haven't endorsed Jamani Williams. And a lot of that probably has to do with Governor Hochul, uh, again, being less offensive to people than Andrew Cuomo, being the state's first female governor, I think is a big deal to many. Um, and, and that she is the sitting governor that, that people don't want to offend unless they feel like there is a strong chance to win. But it's a very curious situation in terms of You don't of come for the politics. queen unless you can... Uh... Yeah, yeah if you're going to come for the queen, don't mess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but, but you know, people are endorsing against her chosen lieutenant governor in Antonio Delgado when they endorse Anna Maria Chilla. So there's there's interesting lines being drawn. I just don't know that Jamani Williams and the Working Families Party have really done the work they needed to do to to make this a real big sort of progressive left uh, campaign. Right. And let, let's talk about Anna Maria Archilla for a moment uh she's running for lieutenant governor uh, uh has a background as a, a founder and a leader at um, make the road new york and the center for popular democracy uh immigrant rights groups in, uh in particular she has a long history with and some people think uh she just might be able to pull off the upset tonight uh your thoughts on that and and how we got into a lieutenant governor's race uh, that uh, has had so many twists and turns I think it's very much possible. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not a betting person, so I'm not going to bet on anything here. But I think, you know, Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado has been in the position for barely, I don't know, six weeks or so. Um, he's not very well known across the state. Governor Hochul and Lieutenant Governor Delgado have been spending lots of money on the airwaves to get him known, of course. And he's been showing up at many of these events. I mentioned that the governor is having on the government side that that help function basically as campaign events. 
Um, but he's not that well known. And Anna Maria Chilla is a very well known activist on the progressive left and, and has garnered, uh, a number of endorsements, including from Congress people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Nidia Velasquez, Jamal Bowman, all three of them, like I was saying, have not endorsed Jamani Williams for governor. I don't know how much of a difference that makes exactly, but it, it definitely, uh, you know, can't hurt Archilla as she's running here against Delgado. And there's a number of other endorsements at play too. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting test of the progressive left versus a fairly unknown quantity in, uh, Delgado. And then Diana Reyna is running with Tom Swazi. She's a former city council member. I don't think her candidacy, you know, has taken off at all. Um, so Archilla, I think has a shot, but it, you know, uh, I don't know how divergent the governor and lieutenant governor votes are going to be. They were somewhat divergent four years ago when Jamani Williams put up a significantly better showing than Cynthia Nixon. But that'll be interesting to see in the results. Right. I think uh, I think four years ago, Jamani outran uh, Cynthia Nixon by about uh, 12 points. I think that's right. Um, So uh, but also speaking with uh, about Anna Maria Archilla, uh, and AOC, for that matter. Of course, we had the Supreme Court ruling come down, um, overturning Roe versus Wade on Friday. What do you think the impact of that ruling will be uh, uh, on today's primary, but also going forward uh, here in, in New York politics? Well, I think if anything in the primaries, um, you know, potentially fortifies Hochul some. And it probably boosts Archilla some, you know, uh, she, she was fairly well known in, again, in, in sort of intense democratic circles, which is a lot of the people that vote in a primary, of course, um, for, uh, being especially active around the Supreme Court confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh. She, uh, famously challenged Senator Jeff Flake in an elevator, which led him to at least slow down the proceedings a little bit. Um, so, so that ruling probably boosts, um, boosts Hochul a bit and, and probably boosts Archilla a bit. In the, in the bigger picture, um, it, it certainly helps Democrats in the, in the general election. You know, it's already a big uphill lift for Republicans in New York, given the voter enrollment numbers. There's more independents in New York than Republicans. Um, and so this type of ruling where, you know, polling shows that, uh, Republicans who are celebrating this ruling are way out of step with the broader electorate. And that's especially true in New York. Um, so, this, so this is going to be a, a, a boost for Democrats, both in the statewide races here and in a lot of the swing districts for the House of Representatives and the state Senate in the August. Uh, those are in the August primaries and then into the general election for everything in the fall. Right. And, uh, and last of all here, uh, the state assembly. Uh, it has its primaries uh, today as well. It's the lower house of our state legislature, which uh, in the past hasn't gotten a, a lot of attention. There's a lot of incumbents there who've uh, uh, gone about their business for, for decades, uh, hardly sure. noticed. Uh, but that's uh, that's starting to change. And in particular, the uh, Democratic Socialists of America are, are targeting several incumbents, and as is the Working Families Party. Uh, can you talk about what's going on there? Yeah, without uh, slipping into discussing specific districts, because there's many assembly districts, but there is uh, a very interesting progressive movement to either unseat some Democratic assembly incumbents or to, to win some open seats that is very interesting to watch and how those outcomes could 
signify a bit of uh, movement in the assembly where there is a very long-standing majority, even supermajority of Democrats. Uh, assembly Speaker Carl Hasty uh, has done a lot to obviously move the state in a you know more progressive direction, but he's had a lot of criticism on his left for not going uh, fast enough on certain issues, especially related to climate and housing and health care. And so this slate of candidates is really trying to elevate those issues, especially climate action, um, but also good cause eviction legislation and single payer health care, for example. And so these will be very interesting, especially in what we expect to be a very low turnout election here. There's a there's a decent chance if some of the progressive candidates have uh, done enough uh, door knocking and so forth to to sneak out some wins here. It could be pretty interesting in terms of how the wind's blowing when we see the next legislature in session. And what what has been the impact over the last couple of cycles? We've seen uh, both DSA and um, other left insurgents uh, knocking off these incumbents uh, for a New York uh, political class that was used to so long to basically never being challenged. In, in primaries, uh, how much of an impact has it had on them and, and just their perception of their invulnerability that they once uh, once had? Oh, there's been a big shift. Absolutely. I don't think there's too many uh, incumbents, Democratic incumbents, especially who feel too comfortable anymore. Uh, you know, this happened with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, shocking the world and, and beating Joe Crowley. That was for a, a house seat. But um, but that also happened uh, several times in 2018, in uh, especially with the Independent Democratic Conference in the New York State Senate, mostly getting obliterated in those primaries that year. So uh, and a number of other instances since. So I think there's a lot of discomfort among incumbents. I think we've seen uh, the state government clearly moving to the left in recent years, in part uh, as legislators feel the heat on their left and they worry both about responding to their constituents. But, of course, they worry about their next primary election, especially And in, in most districts in New York City. Of course, the primary is really all that matters um, because of the Democrats advantage. So um, you, you see a, a lot of incumbents uh, moving to the left a bit to to try to head those those off. All right, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, Ben Max, the host of Max uh, Politics on Wednesday evenings on WBAI from 5 to 6 p.m. and executive editor of Gotham Gazette. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on our Election Day special. Really happy to do it, John. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be back after this short break, and we'll talk about talk with some of the people who are bringing the heat from the left on this primary day, including Anna Maria Archilla herself and Sumathi Kumar co-chair of the New York City chapter of Democratic Socialists of America.
That was Burning and Looting by Bob Marley and the Whalers. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on Peace and Justice Radio, WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor of The Independent. You can see our latest election coverage at independent.org. My co-host, Amr Gagarian, is away today. So we'll continue our Election Day coverage. And we have a, a couple of our reporters in the field uh, down in the Lower East Side, uh, talking to voters as they as they leave their uh, polling place. Uh, Molly Morrow, are are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Great. I know you you and uh, and our other reporter Yasika Guru are uh, understand are outside of uh, PS20 on uh, Essex uh, Street, just south of uh, Houston in the Lower East Side. Uh, do you uh, have a, a voter that we can uh, hear from? Yeah, we do. So could you introduce yourself real quick? Hi, this is Laura from the Lower East Side. How are you guys doing? Great to have you with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, would you be able to like share with us a little bit about your choices for governor and lieutenant governor or perhaps your choice for state assembly? Sure. Uh, for assembly, I went with Iapa um, from the Working Families Party. I spoke with him the other day. And he was really strong on women's bodily autonomy, the environment, um, ethical government, uh, issues like that. He's a true progressive. And I also feel like um, there's been some dirty dealing, uh, people trying to smear him. So that kind of got my back up, um, you know, because he is progressive. Uh, I also... I went with Kathy Hochul for governor, even though I'm very concerned about, you know, kind of the double dipping on real estate development, but I was concerned about splitting the vote. Um, I would have otherwise probably gone with Jumani Williams, um, but, you know, he's a great advocate and I'm sure he'll do well in his future. And who did you vote for lieutenant governor? You know, I'm trying to, I think I went with Delgado, honestly. Okay. Did I make the wrong choice? <laughs> it's your vote. Whatever you yeah, want to no, do. I'm is, kidding. Is... I, I'm afraid I didn't research that one well enough. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, um, th- but I'm comfortable. Yeah. Uh, would you like to talk anything about like kind of your main concerns in this in this primary race? Just kind of like you know what what are the biggest issues that you're thinking about that informed your vote? Well, my main concern actually is uh, here on the Lower East Side. They ripped out our park. And um, it's supposed to be for climate readiness, but it it looks like it's really going to be another real estate grab. And we're supposed to do without our green space for seven years down here while we wait. Uh, I know that would never happen in Central Park. No one in Central Park is ever going to be told, hey, we're closing down for seven years. Um, And that's really our only green space unless you count Tompkins Square. So that's one of my biggest concerns. And um, I think we all saw today that on the national level, we got a big, a lot of big problems. Um, we had a guy who tried to wrest control of the government away from the people and wrest control of his armored car away from the Secret Service. So that was really dangerous, and that's a big concern, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Laura. Okay. Thanks, ladies. Thank Have you. A Have a great day. Okay, Molly, is there another voter to speak with or? We'll come, um, come we back to you right guys now. later. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks. 
Okay, all right. That was uh, Molly Morrow and uh, Yasuka Guru uh, reporting from outside uh, PS20 in the Lower East Side. We're going to go back to them uh, a little later in the show and hope to hear from uh, more voters. Uh, very hotly contested assembly race uh, also going on in uh, in that part of the city between uh, Socialist uh, uh, Iapa Sari Tupac and a couple other uh, candidates. But uh, now in, for our second segment, uh, we're going to uh, talk with one of the most exciting candidates on the primary ballot today, in my estimation. That's uh, Anna Maria Archilla. She's running for lieutenant governor on the Working Families Party ticket. She's a longtime social movement leader with Make the Road New York and the Center for Popular Democracy, which she co-founded. Uh, she has vowed to make the lieutenant governor's office a hub for organizing and pushing the governor to take more pro-working class positions as needed. Uh, the lieutenant governor's race was turned upside down at the end of March when Governor Kathy Hochul's first choice, Brian Benjamin, was indicted on federal corruption charges and promptly resigned. Hochul's new pick for lieutenant governor is Antonio Delgado, a uh, congressman from the Hudson Valley. Joining us now to talk more about her uh, her race and and other matters is Anna Maria Archilla. Anna Maria, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me back on such an exciting day, Election Day. Election Day. And t- tell us where you are right now. I know you've been making the rounds uh, all over the city uh, since uh, almost the crack of dawn. Yes. So I am speaking to you from Bushwick, um, where I am joining um, Assembly candidate um, Sami Namir Olivares, who is both Working Families Party and DSA endorsed candidate. Uh, and someone I have known and worked with for many years. And I'm super excited about um, his race. I just came back from Sunnyside where I was um, spending time with Assembly. Also another insurgent, Juan Ardila, uh, Working Families Party-backed candidate. I was in Harlem earlier with Delcenia, uh, who is um, also um, an insurgent um, and Assembly member, Assembly candidate in West Harlem. And um, I was in Astoria, and then before then, I was in um, downtown Brooklyn. So I've made my rounds today, and New York City is beautiful. People are uh, voting. Uh, There is a sense of sort of joyous celebration in the places where there are insurgent races. Um, And I feel very, very hopeful about all of these um, insurgent assembly races uh, that are uh, really you know, challenging the old sleepy ways of the Democratic Party that always, always, always asks communities of color and working class communities to wait, Um, wait for better housing, wait for um, better schools, wait for real safety. And people are tired of waiting. So there's a lot of insurgent energy out there. And and what has it been like for you, your first uh, political campaign? What's it like to be a candidate? Obviously, you've been very politically active for uh, 20 plus years uh, with your uh, social movement uh, leadership. But to to be the person out front as a candidate, give us a sense of uh, how that changes uh, uh, your life. Yeah, well, so I approach this campaign um, the as, as an expression of the movement. Uh, my intention when I decided to run for lieutenant governor, accepting the invitation of the Working Families Party and to join Jumani Williams, who was um, running for governor. Um, I, you know, my intention was to actually make visible 
the um, opposition, the way the many communities that are organizing all across New York State to demand respect in the workplace, to demand real action on climate change, to demand a real action on the housing affordability crisis. So in many ways, the campaign has felt very familiar to me because from day one, we were joining people in the streets during the budget fight and we were joining uh, people in Albany during the legislative fight and um, talking to the New Yorkers who are always taken for granted by the Democratic Party, always just assumed to be in support, but really never courted and, and never respected with good policy. So I, I have, I have tried to bring my, you know, my experience as an organizer and as a movement person into this campaign. And I think, um, you know, we have, we are making our opposition run for their money. Antonio Delgado entered the race after Governor Hochul changed state legislation. <laughs> to make sure that she could introduce a second lieutenant governor uh, pick um, for her. And um, and he came into the race with millions of dollars that people had donated to him to defend the swing district that he represented in Congress. And instead, he poured that money into this campaign, in addition to allowing his campaign to be propped up by a crypto billionaire. And so they've spent close to over $5 million dollars. And still, no one knows who's going to win this race because we have literally out-organized and out-hustled them in all the parts of New York um, where people are profoundly unhappy with um, a way of governing that always leaves working-class communities behind. Right. And, uh, I mean, thinking about uh, failure of government can't help but think of the events uh, of last week on Friday when the Supreme Court uh, issued uh, its ruling overturning uh, Roe versus Wade and making it possible for roughly half the states in the United States to criminalize abortion. And um, in a minute here, we're going to uh, hear uh, several clips. Um, the first one will be uh, uh, an angry Brett Kavanaugh speaking at uh, his uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearing uh, in 2018. And then we'll hear Mitch McConnell's reaction uh, to the Roe ruling. And then we'll hear, hear from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, and of course, Anna Maria, you, you fought very hard to try to uh, stop the, the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation. And we're, we're down in Washington, D.C. for that. Um, so we'll want to get your reaction to these thoughts uh, after we uh, hear from them. Fear with my friends. Almost everyone did. Sometimes I had too many beers. Sometimes others did. I liked beer. I still like beer. But I did not drink beer to the point of blacking out, and I never sexually assaulted anyone. Precedent is important, but sometimes the precedent is outdated or wrong. And this issue sent back to the democratic process for the will of the American people through their elected representatives to make the decisions. We are here for a reason. We were born in this place and this time for a reason. We were born for peace. Because we are restorers. We were born to be protectors. We were born on this earth to make a better future and turn the ship around. 
that final clip was uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez speaking outside the Supreme Court on Friday morning. Uh, uh, AOC uh, endorsed uh, Anna Maria Archila. Uh, Anna Maria, your reaction to all of that, to uh, Kavanaugh uh, providing a decisive uh, fifth vote on Friday and the kind of reactions you're hearing from across the political spectrum? Well, um, my initial reaction is that it's so painful to hear these clips of uh, Kavanaugh um, speaking during his confirmation process. It is unbelievable that someone like him was confirmed to the Supreme Court. But the fact is that when I was in D.C. with thousands of people trying to prevent his confirmation, we understood very well that with Kavanaugh in the court, um, the it, we would see the end of Roe v. Wade and we would also see you know, the rollback of decades and decades of progress on women's rights and LGBTQ equality on workers' rights and more. And the Republican Party was just bent on having their guy in the court and the Democrats were not able to hold the line. Joe Manchin voted for the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. He's the same guy that has again and again been the one, you know, most persistent obstacle to... Um, an agenda to make, uh, you know, to actually make people's lives better in this administration, this, you know, the Biden administration. So, um, it is Democrats like him who have specialized in being obstacles to communities who desperately need government to deliver and, um, other Democrats who also sort of, uh, allow these kinds of politics to, uh, to win the day and, um, Obviously, once Kavanaugh was in the court, I understood, and I think many others, people who lead in the uh, repro, uh, reproductive justice movement, we understood that the end of Roe was a matter of time. And uh, But it still feels unreal when you see it happening. I wake up now every day knowing that my two children have um, are living uh, in a moment when they have fewer rights than I have enjoyed my entire life. And that only makes me more determined to make sure that in our state, in New York state, we are doing everything we can to enshrine into our legal system protections for people who need abortion care, protections against discrimination based on race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, immigration, ability, because what we will see from the Supreme Court is more decisions that look like the rollback of Roe v. Wade. Um, and uh, we cannot have the politics of business as usual, the politics that just always cow to the fear-mongering. We cannot have those politics be dominant in the state of New York. This is, uh, we are in a moment of real existential crisis. As we speak, 26 states will put in place or have already put in place some uh, efforts to ban or or really limit access to abortion care. And, you know, in the Supreme Court decision announced on Friday, one of the opinions from Judge uh, Thomas was uh, included, you know, a very important warning, which is that they will come after contraception, they will come about after marriage equality and other uh, really important gains. So um, we should demand, we should use today's elections to send a message that we cannot have half measures in a moment that requires the boldest, most urgent, most visionary action to protect women, to protect 
um, people who need abortion care, care to protect queer people. And quite frankly, New York State cannot be a place where people can find sanctuary if in the state of New York people cannot afford a place to live. New York State cannot be the state that it needs to be in this historical moment if people are being asked to do magic with money they don't have in their pockets. So we need to uh, make sure that we are putting in place a real plan to tackle the housing affordability crisis. Uh, we need to make sure that we are raising the minimum wage. We need to make sure that we are making our state government actually prioritize working families above the whims of billionaires. Right. And, and uh, before we have to go here in a couple of minutes, I uh, want to get your uh, thoughts uh, also from Friday's ruling in his concurring opinion. Uh, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, made it very clear that he uh, he believed that uh, right to privacy did not exist uh, not only for the purposes of abortion, but also uh, for same sex marriage, uh, for uh, consensual sexual relations. Um, and, and just about anything and, and contraception as well. Um, as a queer woman, uh, how do you see things going forward? And, uh, are you hopeful that your, uh, LGBT community will come out strong for you today? And I, I saw a quote from you, uh, in a, in a recent story where you said, gay people do not fight for freedom to live in a lavender bubble, but in a more just society. If you want to just elaborate on that for a moment. Yeah, so that quote is from the amazing um, queer liberation leader Urva Shivaid, who um, passed away recently. Um, she uh, was, uh, you know, at the. She always worked at the intersection of economic justice, racial justice, gender justice, um, and she um, spoke about this idea, always speaking to um, queer folks, to people in the queer liberation movement, to remind us that. Um, our, our liberation is intertwined, that we cannot uh, just build bubbles for ourselves and let the rest of the world, you know, go up and smoke and fire. Like, that is not what we can do. So we have to make sure that we are actually agents of uh, transformation <laughs> towards a more just society. And in these moments when it is very clear that the justices of the Supreme Court, the vast majority of the Supreme Court is actually representative of a very radical right-wing um, segment in our society that does not believe that women belong in the Constitution, that does not believe that the rights of queer people um, are constitutional rights, um, that as long as they are the majority in the Supreme Court, we will need to actually fortify the defenses at the state level. And in order to do that, we actually have to elect people who understand the historical moment we're living in. Um, and that's why today's elections matter. Today, people will have an opportunity to vote for Jumani Williams for governor. Jumani has been a fierce fighter for working class communities. We, we have 20 her. seconds. And, um, and people, I am asking people to come out and vote for Jumani Williams for governor and Maria Chila for lieutenant governor. Both of us express both the urgency and the demands of people who want our government to actually be bold and fierce in a moment of historical importance. Okay. We'll have to leave it there. Anna Maria Archilla, uh, candidate for Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for joining us again on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much. Okay. So we'll be back with uh, more after this short break.
July There was not a cloud to speak of So the orange sun hung lonely in the sky I lay prone in my cabby home Thinking of fine nappy Jackie and his jazz cat's horn Sliding in a tape of bird on bird When suddenly rang my phone Hey, butterfly, the voice said Slip on some duds, comb out your fro And slide on down to my pad The vibe here is very pleasant And I truly request your presence A problem of great magnitude has arose And as we speak it grows Damn, what could it be, I thought A juice I bought And rolled on down to her spot Seeing bros I know, slapping fives I arrived and pressed G5 And there was Nikki, looking some kind of sad With tears falling from her eyes She sat me down Dug my frown and began to run it down You remember my boyfriend said That fly kid who I love Well our love was often a verb And spontaneity has brought a third But due to our youth and economic state We wish to terminate About this we don't feel great But baby that's how it is But the feds have dissed me They ignored and dismissed me The pro-lifers harassed me outside the clinic And called me a murderer Now that's hate So needless to say, we're in a mental state of debate. Hey, beautiful bird, I say... And you are listening to the Independent News Hour uh, Election Day Special Edition here on uh, WBAI in 99.5 FM. Uh, that was La Femme Fatale by Digital Planets. And uh, so uh, we are going to uh, talk in a moment with Sumathi Kumar, co-chair of the New York City uh, Democratic Socialists of America, a group that's making another big push to elect uh, more socialists to the state legislature today. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to urge everybody uh, who can do so, uh, please consider giving to WBAI uh, community radio station at 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950 or give number two WBAI.org. We think about the times we're living in now, in now and everything that happened uh, last week with the Supreme Court. We obviously have a, an extreme right-wing movement that's on the march in this country. And uh, t- voices like WBAI, uh, uh, institutions like WBAI are so crucial to, to have a real voice of the people. We, we've seen how feckless uh, the, not only the Democratic Party leadership but all co- uh, corporate media in general have been in this era of a rising right-wing uh, neo-fascist movement. We need uh, a station like WBAI as well as newspapers like The Independent that can be a, a bastion where people can hear undiluted truth, hear from social movement organizers and leaders, thought leaders, the people doing the work on the ground to make this a better city, a better state, and a, and a better country. And, uh, uh, you know, we don't have corporate sponsors or anything of the sort here, uh, which means we can be more undiluted. But it also means sometimes we uh, struggle to pay the bills. And right now, uh, WBAI is behind on its rent for its uh, antenna and its transmitter at four times square and also uh, for its offices at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Uh, so we need that. We need your help. 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. Two one two two zero nine two nine five zero or online. Give number two, wbai.org. You can make a one-time contribution. You can be, become a monthly sustainer, a WBAI buddy for as little as ten dollars a month. But you will be stepping up at this crucial moment in our nation's history when so much is on the line. We need independent media. 
we need a lot of things, but we definitely need independent media where we can uh, not only get our voices out, but people can come together and, and share their thoughts and visions. And uh, we're, that's what we're going to do for the rest of this show. But again, please, if you can, uh, send a little change this way, $10, $25, $50, $100, $500 if you got it, uh, 212-209-2950. And with uh, that, we're going to turn uh, to our next guest, uh, Sumathi uh, Kumar. Oh, wait a minute. We, okay, so Sumathi, it's great. To, we're going to go to you in a sec. But uh, uh, Molly, you've got uh, another voter that we can uh, speak with briefly? Yes, you do. Okay, uh, who do we have here? All right, uh, do you want to introduce introduce yourself a little bit? Yes, my name is Patrick, and I live on the Lower East Side of New York. All right, awesome. So um, would you be willing to talk a little bit about your support for governor and lieutenant governor, and also your uh, who you're supporting in the state assembly race? Sure. I am holding my nose and voting for this uh, hope. Uh, can you be a little uh, louder, a little clearer there? Sorry, what'd you say? Uh, th- his voice wasn't co- quite coming in. Okay, here I'll. I am holding my nose uh, and supporting Miss Hokel and Mr. Delgado, with reservations, but but um, they seem to be. I, I like Jermaine Williams, but he has no chance of winning. And who did you support for state assembly in the hotly contested race? Sorry, what did you say, John? Uh, uh, who, who, who does uh, who did Patrick uh, vote for in in the state assembly race? Um, in the Senate, I, I voted for uh, the the, um, the young man who's a social worker who has a very difficult name to pronounce. You know, uh, who I mean, Iyapa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yeah. Um, I have met all of the candidates, um, and he is the most sincere. Again, he hasn't a prayer, but once in a while you have to, uh, you know, support people in that. I, I, I have problems with him as well. I mean, I think, I, I think that we're at a, at a stage in uh, American political life where the things are, are, are very, very uh, confused, and confusing and divisive and dangerous. My sense of the guy, I've spoken to him a couple of times, is that he's a very decent person. So I'll take the decency. In fact, there he is right there. Yeah, he's right here on the uh, campaigning on the corner. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, and then would you like to maybe talk a little bit about just like what your biggest concerns are well, in the race? Yeah, we just have 30 seconds here because we do need to okay. give it to our other guests. But we, okay, you, then really quick. <laughs> uh, my biggest concerns are... are it, it's, Crime is a big concern. I have a 17-year-old daughter. How old are you guys? 19. I'm 20. Okay. So that, that, her future, her safety and her future. Okay? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Okay. Uh, Molly Morrow and uh, Yasika Garud, thank you so much for bringing Voices of the Voters from down on the Lower East Side uh, during the show today. Uh, we're going to now pivot to our third guest, uh, Sumathi Kumar. She's a co-chair. Of the, Demo- of the New York City chapter, the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, NYC DSA has knocked off a number of incumbents over the last couple of election cycles, and they now have six of their members in the state legislature, and they're uh, looking to add seven more this year, including five more to the state assembly today. And one of the races they've backed is the one in the Lower East Side with uh, Iapa Sairi Tupac, a Peruvian immigrant social worker. Uh, 
Sumathi, welcome to WBAI. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So, yeah, so you all uh, been backing this slate uh, so far uh, on our show today. We've heard from two voters who voted for both uh, Kathy Hochul and uh, Iyapa Sairi Tupac, the DSA candidate. Uh, uh, your thoughts as, uh, as this uh, election heads to its final uh, few hours? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm currently sitting in the basement of IAPA's campaign office um, in between uh, GOTV shifts, and the energy is amazing. We've brought in so many people through these races across the state. Um, I did some math earlier today and saw that um, we've had across the state for, for all our races, for the assembly, we've had... Um, 2000, more than 2,700 unique volunteers who've been doing the work to win these races. And we've knocked on a total of 175,000 doors, um, which doesn't even include the doors we knocked today. So that number is probably more than 200,000. Um, and that, that's really what these races are about. They're about us bringing the working class into the political process giving people a voice because like Anna Maria was saying earlier, we are in a moment of intense right-wing reaction. We cannot go with business as usual anymore. We need the insurgent energy that our candidates are bringing. We need more people who are socialists to be in office. And we need to finally win um, the demands that people have been crying out for for so long, like good cause eviction, a green new deal, universal health care, new taxes on the wealthy. That's what's at stake this year, today, um, um, with these elections. And I feel really excited about how many people come out, how much energy has been built, um, because people know uh, how important today is. Right. And can you explain a little bit more uh, why you all have uh, focused so much uh, attention on the state assembly, uh, a once obscure body that has uh, become a, a site of more political conflict recently? Yeah. I mean, time and time again, over the last few years, we've seen the assembly be a block on progressive legislation. And this um, assembly has a Democratic supermajority, by the way. Yeah, as does the Senate. Um, and we are going to be running in the Senate primaries also. Um but we've just seen how undemocratic these bodies are, how um, they just have been refusing to pass legislation that is that people want, that the majority of New Yorkers are asking for. Um, so we really need a shakeup in that body um, to get people to start moving in a positive direction and not just standing still in the face of crises. Right. And we have about one more minute here. And, uh, one thing I want to ask you about is all seven of your candidates, plus some of the uh, candidates uh, endorsed by the Working Families Party, uh, have been subjected to these intense uh, negative uh, uh, ad campaigns, uh, flyers landing in people's mailboxes in their districts uh, day after day for the last few weeks, uh, mm-hmm. in, kind of with the most sensational claims, uh, essentially that they're pro-criminal and, and, and a danger to public safety. Uh, these uh mailings uh, sponsored with hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, of real estate developer money and other one percenters uh, re- real quickly, just your thoughts on that. Uh, and uh, if you think it's going to have any effect. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, the right wing 
is mobilizing against us. These are Republican donors in some cases who are giving money and spending money on a Democratic primary. Um, and I think the fact that they've been sending so many mailers are just so sensationalized, just so it shows how afraid people are, especially the corporate, um, the corporations, the people We have 15 power. seconds. People are afraid. Um, the people in power and the wealthy are afraid. Um, and we're proving with our work on the ground that organizing and people power beats that money every time. So I don't think that voters are going to buy those those mailers. I think that they're going to buy the organizing conversations we've been having on the doors. Okay, we'll leave it there. Sumathi Kumar, co-chair of New York City Democratic Socialists of America, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So uh, that's uh, it for tonight's show. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. We'll be preempted next week. And thanks to our board operator, Reggie Johnson, as well as Ambigagarian, Owen Schock, Sue Brisk, Yastika Guru, and Molly Mara, who all helped with this show. And our final uh, song here is Talking About a Revolution by Tracy Chapman. Don't you know Talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds whisper.